I titled uh, this morning's message, The Heart of Thanksgiving, and I really believe for us as Christians that this is something that we need to sit and think about, uh, really uh, to consider really what Thanksgiving is really all about. And I'm not talking about just the holiday that we have just passed but to have really hearts of thanksgiving is really something that even as joe prayed in his prayer it really it really needs to it's it's what we are as christians to be thankful we have so much to be thankful for i started looking at thanksgiving and the whole start of the holiday of thanksgiving and Looking back on it, of course, you know, it goes all the way back to the time of of the pilgrims. And, of course, they say, well, that wasn't really the official type of Thanksgiving that we know today. But it it was a time of Thanksgiving. And then through the years, there were a a number of different presidents that recognized a particular time of the year that they uh, wanted to make a day of Thanksgiving. But it was in 1863 actually during the Civil War, that President Abraham Lincoln, who had just recently committed his life to Christ, he gave a proclamation which led to the establishment of the national Thanksgiving holiday that we celebrate today. Part of the address that he wrote at the time had these words in it, and I read the whole address, but this is, I thought, was one line out of the address that was good. Thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. That's where Abraham Lincoln was. He was considering having a national Thanksgiving holiday. He saw it as thanksgiving and praise to the Father who dwells in heaven. Unlike our thanksgiving for a lot of people today the thanksgiving meal all the things that come about some of you know some people are just happy to be off work or to be out of school or or whatever you know it's it's just it's not necessarily for a lot of people the intention the heart the attitude of thanksgiving is probably not really the intention that abraham lincoln thought of when he thought of this national thanksgiving day but he used this word beneficent within this uh, address that he gave and i looked up the word beneficent and this is how it reads it, it, it by definition it means that god is always doing good or causing good to be done This word also means that he is always conferring benefits to you and I. It also means that he is always kindly in action and purpose. I think that's that's the intent 
that Abraham Lincoln had for this holiday. But did you notice where it's all directed? This thanksgiving is directed towards God, the one who is in heaven. It's not just thank you, Lord, that I have this or I have that. But it's thank you, Lord, for all the things that come down from you. It was actually in 1941 that Congress actually sanctioned Thanksgiving as a legal holiday. Uh, And I believe that from that point on, like every other holiday that we have, that we even celebrate as Christians, in time it begins to get a little bit washed out. A little bit of not what it was intended to be. And we see that with Christmas, we see that with Easter, any holiday really that we would celebrate really as as Christians. But in the Bible, when we look in in the Word of God, we see that thanksgiving is really always about adoration. It's about sacrifice. It's about praise. It's about really making an offering to the Lord. It's being grateful, really, as Christians. Uh, And and the gratefulness and the adoration and the praise and this offering is all for things that God has done. That's really a, a thankful heart, one that we should have. It's always about God when we think of the word thankfulness throughout Scripture. It's always about God. It's not about things. It's not about man. It's about God and our thankful hearts towards Him. I really believe that this Thanksgiving holiday for Christians should be different than somebody that doesn't know Christ. I think that the heart of uh, Thanksgiving really is characteristic of a believer, to have thankful hearts. The Apostle Paul, uh, writing to the Romans in chapter 1, he wrote about the unbeliever. And what's interesting and what Paul says about the unbeliever is that unbelievers, by their very nature, apart from Christ, are unthankful. It says, Paul wrote, For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they were without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. Interesting that Paul would say that. Nor were they thankful. Which is, you know, you could say, well, guy, you know, before I was a believer, I was thankful for things. But it all has to do with where your thanks is being directed. Is it directed towards, thank you, God, for this new car that I just got? Thank you, you know, and I'm not to say that we won't thank God for things that He does bless us with, but our gratitude and our heart of thankfulness is not within just the things that we possess and the things that God blesses us with, but it's towards Him. 
Paul also wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He warned that in the last days that men were going to be lovers of themselves. They were going to be lovers of money, boasters and proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And then it says, and unthankful. Interesting, isn't it? In the last days, people will become even more so unthankful. We just passed Thanksgiving holiday here. And there is so much to be thankful for. That we could just really just raise our voices up to God and just begin to thank Him. Write down all the things that God has done in your life and that you could thank Him for. And I think that you would find that your list could go on and on. The opposite of being thankful is really being ungrateful. Being ungrateful is really being selfish or unappreciative. It's, it's not a person that displays gratitude towards something, unthankfulness, ungrateful. It's, it's not giving due or really returning recompense for the benefits that you have received. All the things that you have gotten and received from God, an ungrateful heart would not reciprocate and just come back with a heart of thanksgiving. It would almost be like, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I deserve these things. You know, we often see unthankfulness in relationships with one another. That's at this level. A lot of that goes on. It happens in marriage, doesn't it? Those of us that are married. We take each other for granted. We're really uh, often really unthankful for our spouse and who God has given to us. We see that at the level of relationship. But what about in this direction, this way with God? If, there, if this relationship this way is one of unthankfulness and ingratitude and not really being able to grab onto what you're even thankful to God for, then I can tell you that it will probably be that way at this level. Because what happens at this level really is an overflow of what's going on at this, this direction between you and God. I think that thankfulness or thanksgiving is something that really every believer should be full of. <laughs> filled up. Filled to the top. Full of thanksgiving. I mean, when you're around a Christian that has thanksgiving on his heart and you hear it in the conversation, you just see it in their mouth, you're just dialoguing with them. You can sense that there is a heart of thanksgiving within them. And I've been around Christians that have been through some very trying circumstances in life. Difficult times. I've been in third world countries where people have lived in poverty. 
And I have seen thankfulness flowing out of the hearts of people that know Jesus Christ, even in those circumstances. So the circumstances themselves don't dictate whether or not I can be thankful to the Lord. Every believer should be full of thankfulness. It's not... It's, if you are a believer and there is no thankfulness there, there's heart issues. There's something wrong. I didn't start with prayer, but we are going to pray now. Let's pray. Father, we just lift up this time. I pray, Lord, for our church. I pray for every heart that's here, including myself. Lord, that you would work. Lord, a new work in our heart this morning. Lord, that you would cause our hearts, Lord, to be overwhelmed with a thankfulness of who you are and what you have done for us and in us. Lord, bless this time this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I shared uh, last week in our day of prayer, those of you that were uh, reading it, I shared a verse out of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. This is what the Apostle Paul said. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And then he says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great verse? Uh, Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I think God is just glorified and honored when we sit before him. Even when we're making our... Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for how good you are to me, Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for hearing my prayers. And just lifting up those hearts of thankfulness before the Lord, I believe that it brings about, it it guards our minds. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I started thinking about what are some of the benefits of a thankful heart. One of them, I think, is that thankfulness, it turns our hearts back in the right direction. We start looking upward once again. We start looking towards heaven. Instead of looking at all the circumstances and all the things that surround us that could bring about that anxiety and all those things, we just begin to lift up prayers and thoughts of thanksgiving to the Lord, even in the midst of trying times. It redirects our hearts. Thanksgiving does. Because when you're, as a believer, lifting up Thanksgiving to the Lord, your eyes are turned up. Those things are going up to heaven. Another benefit is that thankfulness produces peace 
and an inner joy from God. Try it sometime. You're, you're in the midst of things. <laughs> things are going wrong. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I, I had a little bit of a difficult week myself. I, I shared last Sunday about homeownership and all, all the things that can go wrong when you own a home. I had a couple of those. One was an electrical problem that's still not fixed. That's this week. The other one is a plumbing issue that's still not fixed. Tried to fix it, still haven't been able to fix it. Then I got in my car to come to church this morning, and the car barely started to get here. The message this morning is thankfulness. What can we be thankful for? Well, thankfulness produces peace and inner joy from God. Try it when you're in the midst of something that would normally just shake your foundation a little bit and begin to thank God for his goodness, who he is, what he's done in your life. And see if that plumbing problem or that electrical problem might not seem so big. Another benefit is that thankfulness combats complaining. Any complainers here? Complaining, discouragement, discontentment, covetousness. It combats those things. There's probably more. Another benefit is that thankfulness takes our eyes off of self. And it puts them back on God. Very important. When my eyes are on myself, that's depressing. When my eyes are on the Lord, my heart can well up with a thankfulness for what he is doing, what he has done, what he's able to do. And lastly, thankfulness and unhappiness do not go together. Did you know that? Thankfulness and unhappiness do not go hand in hand. They don't go together. They don't mix. But let me ask you a question. This is for each of us this morning. Who are truly the happy people in this world? Who really are the happy ones? People that are really, you know, it should be as his believer. We should be the truly happy people in this world. We read in Psalm 144, verse 15, Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. If you want to know real happiness, you have to know Jesus Christ first. You say, well, there's non-believers that are happy. But it's not the same kind of happiness and joy and contentment and thankfulness that a believer can possess in his heart. Truly happy people are those whose God is their Lord, their master, the owner and the ruler of my life, the one that I'm looking to to lead me and guide me every single day. That brings a happiness to my life. 
this Thanksgiving, we sat as a family at our table, and one of the people at the table said, you know, look at all this. Kathy had it all decorated really nice as she normally does and all the things on there, and we're just looking and going, wow. You know, man, there are so many people in this world that couldn't even imagine having what we have sitting here and all the abundance that we have sitting on this table right now. And I had everybody around the table read Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is a psalm of thanksgiving. That's how mine's titled at the top of it. It's only five verses that we read, but these are the verses. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then it says this, enter into the gates, his gates, with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. A psalm of thanksgiving to the Lord. Notice where all that is directed. It's going right up to him. Thank you, Lord. All of this is because of you. My life is because of you. I have so much to be thankful for. It makes me want to bless your name, to be thankful to you. I want to enter into his courts with praise into his gates with thanksgiving. When my heart is overwhelmed with a thanksgiving for him, it's David dancing before the Lord. Filled with joy, filled with thanksgiving. Have we come this morning to this place? Have we come with hearts of thanksgiving? Or do we have some complaining on our hearts? Do we have some things that are there that just get in the way of me really being able to lift up a thankful heart to the Lord? You know, our text this morning uh, is in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. The children of Israel had their, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was really captured by the Philistines and it was taken away from them and they had gotten the Ark back and uh, the Ark was now uh, coming back and King David was going to set up this Ark within the tent there in uh, the city of David. And the children of Israel... I believe we're just excited. This was an exciting day. A a day that the the children of Israel were full of thankfulness. As they would have seen the the ark being carried and and transported towards the city of David where it was going to be set up. 
This was where the presence of God dwelt. It's what they longed to see return. And we read in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1, So they brought the ark of God, and they set it up in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. You know, the burnt offering uh, is really one of the highest expressions of worship to God. That, there, there's a number of different offerings that God's people were instructed to live. But the burnt offering, it spoke of the consecration of God's people to their God. It, it spoke of their consecration to them. It's, it's kind of like we, we call it rededicating our life. We call it getting ourselves right again with the Lord. Coming back to the Lord. This burnt offering, this ram that was offered up, along with the sin offering, it, that, that priest would have to go in and make atonement for his own sin and his own family's sin. And then he would come back out and he would take this ram and he would take the blood from it and go behind the veil again and take it with his hands with his blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat seven times, sprinkling the blood for the sins of the people. And then they would take the other goat. It was called a scapegoat. And they would take that goat and take it out and he would put his hands upon that goat as if all the sins as a temporary just removal of the sins of the people and they would chase that goat out of the city. And all the people would be raising up voices of shouting of joy and rejoicing that God had removed their sin once again. And then the peace offering would follow which was that picture of that fellowship and that communion restored with the Lord. Uh, The sharing, really, of the good things that come from God. And and the children of Israel here were partaking of this burnt offering and the peace offering. There was rejoicing. This was a time of celebration. Their ark had come back. They consecrated themselves to the Lord. The peace offering was the Lamb, ultimately Jesus Christ. When David had finished, we're told in verse 2, offering up the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, we're told that he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. There was some renewal that went on in their hearts. They came back. They turned their hearts back towards God. This was a day of consecration, a day of celebration for God's people. First, we see David here with the people worshiping God. Getting their hearts right, confessing their sin, getting things right. And then we see these offerings, which were really, this peace offering was really teaching the people to be thankful. It's really what it was doing. All the benefits that we get from him, 
And then look what happens in verse 3. After David had finished offering these burnt offerings, then it says, Then he distributed to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. I sent some leftovers home with people after Thanksgiving. I think it's a normal thing and people do it. Here's some leftovers to take them home. Here's David taking, if you want to say, the leftovers. What was left? After offering up this sacrifice, that leftover normally would have been for the priests and his family. And here he is distributing it out to the people. I'm sure as they left back to their homes this day, that the celebration that just took place, that all of these things that they took with them, they were like reminders, weren't they? How great our God is. Look at his provisions. Could you imagine them sitting there eating that loaf of bread and that piece of meat and that cake of raisins, just remembering that day as the ark came back? As the offerings went up, the rejoicing and the celebration, and then they went home with these things. A celebration on hearts, really, of thankfulness. But I think that David, I believe even as this day maybe was coming to an end, that he didn't want this time of sacrifice, this time of worship and praise, he didn't want it to just be for the day. He, he wanted it to really to be a part of their everyday life. Take these things with you. It, it, I've shared this numerous times here to our church that Sundays are not enough. It's not enough just to come here on a Sunday morning. If that's all you get of the Lord during the week, it's not enough. It won't carry you. It won't overwhelm your heart with a heart of thanksgiving if you don't spend time with the Lord. We need to do it daily. It needs to be. David wanted the people to leave with something. He wanted them to remember for their hearts to be overwhelmed daily with the joy of the Lord, with thankful hearts. And then we read in verse 4, Then David appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord. (laughs) To have them stand. This was really David putting together, we could call it a worship team. Here's David putting and appointing these Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to commemorate, to thank, to praise the Lord God of Israel. Do you see that in verse 4? That was the purpose, to commemorate, to thank, to praise the Lord God of Israel. That's why David's doing it. I want this to be a daily thing. I want you to remember 
I wonder how many times we come in and we worship the Lord here. And really it's just a song. But did you know that just a song is not really true worship? It's more than a song. There's a worship song like that. It's more than a song. True worship really is something that is going on inside of you, inside of your heart. We need to understand the purpose of worship. David appointed these Levites to commemorate. Uh, The word commemorate means to serve as a memorial or a reminder, really, to the people. He wanted these Levites to commemorate the things of God to the people. He wanted them to also to cause the people to well up with thanksgiving in their hearts. Does that happen when we worship the Lord here? Does your heart all of a sudden just get overwhelmed with the things as you're reading, even the words and contemplating really what God has done? Lord, thank you for saving me. And then to praise the Lord God of Israel. To really worship him and praise him for who he is, what he's done. And then we see in verse 5 and 6, really, we see the worship leaders. And I'm not going to read all these names. You can do that on your own. But the first one was Asaph, the chief. He was the chief worship leader. We'll call him Joe. And then all the other names, you guys that are on our worship team can pick your name. But here's the worship leaders that are here with the stringed instruments, with the harps. But Asaph made music with cymbals. So Joe's the cymbal guy. And the priests regularly were told, blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. I'd love to have heard that worship team there. These Levites, really, that were appointed, really appointed by God to actually bring the people into the very presence of God. And that's really what worship should do. As our worship team is standing up here and worshiping the Lord, they should just be overwhelmed in their own hearts before God, worshiping the God, and you guys are all just blanked out. And then we enter in with them. That's really what it should be. They're not here to entertain us with a song. They're here to lead us into the very presence of God in worship. And then we read in verse 7, On that day, David first delivered this psalm in the hand of Asaph and his brethren to do what? To thank the Lord. And then David really, all he did to bring about and to deliver this into the hands of the worship leader, he gives him a psalm, a psalm that he wrote. He delivers this psalm into his hand really to commemorate the things of God, to bring about a thankfulness in the hearts of those people and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Listen to the first psalm that David gave to Asaph. It's Psalm 105. 
verse 1 to 15. There's two other psalms that he gives them, but this first psalm that David gives was to commemorate and to thank and praise the God of Israel. Look what it says in verse 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord... Call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Uh, Start underlining a few words if you have a pencil. Give thanks. Underline that. Call upon him. Underline that. Make known his deeds among the people. These are all good words to remember. In verse 9, it says, sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all of his wondrous works. Don't you love it when you get together with a brother or sister in Christ that is excited in the Lord and you're just talking about the things of God? There's been a number of people in my life, but one in particular, a friend of mine that is in, uh, he's a pastor but we've known each other for a long time. And you know what? When we get together, I'll come and visit. He lives in Reno. But I I mean, I'll get together with this guy. And you know what? Our wives know that when we get together, we run off into his office or his, his back room, and we open up our Bible, and we'll sit there for hours and just sharpen one another and talk about the things of God. And you know what? And it's exciting. Just to be able to, to, to do that. Have you ever just sat with the Psalms opened? Reading the Psalms. Did you know that in Calvary Chapel, that they, I, we did this one time with the same couple. Kathy, you'd remember this. We sat there on their, their sofa, singing with our bad voices and everything, singing and remembering songs that we've been a part of Calvary Chapel, the four of us, for a long time, and trying to pull out the verse, uh, words out of some of the psalms, we actually found almost every psalm, for those that have been in the Calvary Chapel movement a long time, you could find a song, a worship song, almost out of every psalm. And we just sat there lifting up the parts we could remember, lifting up and singing songs, the four of us. And there was just this joy in our heart. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all of his wondrous works. If you want to get overwhelmed with thanksgiving, do that. Verse 10 says, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. David is giving this psalm to the people to cause them to be thankful, to be praising the Lord, to commemorate really the things that God has done. The psalm goes on to commemorate God's marvelous works. Look in verse 12. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done. Have you ever forgotten? Some of the great works that God has done in your life. 
Remember the marvelous works which he has done, his wonders. Those things that you, you know, you, you just sit back and go, God, you're incredible. It's incredible the things that you have done in my life and my family and my marriage and and all these areas of my life. You have changed me. You're wonder. You're you're incredible. And the judgments of his mouth. Remember. Verse 13, O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Don't forget that. Remember that God has been faithful to you, Israel. Don't ever forget it. Remember, Christians, that God is being faithful and is faithful to you. Don't ever forget that. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Again, in verse 15, remember. Remember his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. And confirmed it to Jacob for a statute. To Israel for an everlasting covenant. Saying to you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When you were few in number. Indeed very few and strangers in it when they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. Don't forget, Israel. Don't forget, church, what God has done for you. Spurgeon in his sermon, The Recorders, noted several ways that we can help ourselves remember the great things of God. One of them is make an actual record of what God has done. Keep it in a written journal. Does anybody journal here? I know my wife does regularly. I'm not good-headed. I, I, I don't, to be honest with you, but I should. And I do have a couple of journals that I have journaled in. But it becomes a record. If you haven't done that, it would be a good idea to contemplate writing those things down. That's what Spurgeon says. Keep a written journal of what God has done. The next thing he says is be sure to praise God thoroughly at the time you receive his goodness. Have you ever forgot to do that? I have, and all of a sudden you're thinking a week later, man, the Lord just totally blessed me. He totally came through, answered that prayer. I got so busy about everything, you know, and, and I completely just forgot. I didn't even really thank the Lord for answering that prayer. I've been convicted of that numerous times. Probably more than I could even want to think. Number three, set apart time for meditation on the good things God has done. Literally take and set aside some time between you and the Lord. And then don't do anything except meditate on the good things that he's done for you. 
and write them down. I'll add. Also talk about his mercy often with other people. And lastly, use everything around you as reminders to the goodness of God. How good is your God to you? The Bible says that it's the goodness of God that leads a person to repentance. Did you know that the goodness of our Lord and that leading you to repentance, that the goodness of God is everything that makes him up, everything about his nature, who he is, all of his love and mercy and forgiveness, all of that is the goodness of God, and it draws us to repentance. God, you are so good and forgiving and patient with me. It just makes me want to run to you and say, God, forgive me. Then David gives the Levites another psalm, Psalm 96. Here, David gives a command to praise the Lord God of Israel. Look at verse 23. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. David says in verse 31, Let the heavens rejoice. And let the earth be glad and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Isn't that interesting? Written in the Psalms, thinking ahead, looking to the future. For he is coming to judge the earth. Give to the Lord. Worship the Lord. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Can you see what they are being really exhorted to do? Come before God with hearts of thankfulness. And come before the Lord that has done all of these great things. Don't forget what he has done for you. Be thankful. David finished this day with telling the people to celebrate God's faithfulness to his people. He quotes or gives them Psalm 106, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. You see what David's doing with the people? And then he says in verse... 35 to 36 
he quotes from Psalm 106, verse 47 and 48. He says this, And say, Save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. All David had to do is just turn these things over to the Levites and say, minister these things to the people. And everything that we just read there is just the Psalms. Reminding them to be thankful. Reminding them not to forget. And then look what it says in verse 36. And all the people said what? Amen. And praised the Lord. All the people said amen. Amen to that. Amen. And I'm sure that the people just raised their voice. Amen. Praise the Lord. If we were to continue on in this chapter, and we don't have time today, but we would see that Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord, that David desired that they would stay there before the Ark of the Lord to minister to the people. This was going to be, in a sense, like their post something that they would regularly do, that they would uh, minister before the ark, it says, regularly. This wasn't just a a one-day event. It wasn't meant to be that. It was meant that it would go on and on and be a part of what their life would be about. I'm going to finish with another psalm And I really believe that this psalm might sum up the whole message for today. It's Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5. It's just a portion of the psalm. This was actually the first message that I preached in Swansea, Wales. Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles.